Well, last week, horrible tornadoes and storms swept across our area. I don't know about you, but I had several of my close friends who were right in the middle of the eye of those storms. And they've been spending the last week and will be spending the next few weeks helping people get life back in order. Hours before these events took place, the National Weather Service posted watches and warnings for severe weather. They were able to predict these events because the conditions were recognizable and right for these events to occur. In my opinion, the same is true today for the spirit of discouragement. In fact, I can't imagine a situation where the, 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 the temptation to be damaged and even destroyed by discouragement has ever been greater in our world. Imagine being an athlete. You've invested your entire life preparing for your senior year to perform at your very best during your spring sports season. Now that opportunity is swept away by this pandemic. Or imagine being a senior in high school or a senior in college and not being able to engage in the normal activities that seniors usually get to experience. Imagine having loved ones in a hospital or in a nursing home and not even being able to go and visit with them. Like storms, discouragement is real. And it hurts. And it comes to us in many different forms. One source of discouragement is isolation. If that's you today, I encourage you to be aggressive about talking to people reaching out to people and connecting with people during this crisis by phone calls and by social media. Another source could be clinical depression. If that's you, be careful to stay in touch with your physician during these unsettling days. Last week, a 38-year-old former member of this church posted a story on her social media page about the battle that she has been having with depression. You would never have guessed that this person would be struggling. Discouragement is real, and the conditions we are experiencing today are challenging at best. Ultimately, the psalmist gives us hope through discouraging times, and that's what we want to look at today. Yes, our times are discouraging, but there is hope in these times. And today we want to look at that. We begin our journey today that we'll spend between now and several months in book two of the Psalms. Last year we covered book one of the Psalms. Uh, the next three years we're going to cover the last three books of the Psalms. But this year we're looking at book two, which runs from Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. Psalm 42 is defined in the title as a mascal. The Psalms give instruction and wisdom when they carry with them this title. This section of Psalms is diagnostic and it's also prescriptive and it's most relevant for us today. So I want you to join me and just prepare to inject Psalm 42 into your system today, into your spiritual system so you can be lifted up
by the word of the Lord. So turn with me to Psalm 42 as I read verses 1 through 11 of this great psalm. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Verse 8, but each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praise, praying to God who gives me life. O oh, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. And Father, right now, that's what we choose to do. We choose to look to You to give us direction as we work through these days that are so discouraging and we're tempted to let our spirit fall into the pattern of discouragement. So lift our spirits today as we draw from Your Word and as we literally strive to inject this truth into our lives today, in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 42 gives us three biblical steps to understanding discouragement. And we're going to look at them right now. The first step is that discouragement has many causes. We have to understand, if we're going to understand discouragement, that causes come from many different directions. In fact, right out of this psalm, we have four different directions that discouragement many times come from, comes from. One cause of discouragement is looking inward. The psalmist looked inward, and he had the feeling that the presence of God was absent. Look at verses 1 and 2. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I stand before Him? So you see, the psalmist is in great despair. The expressions of his feelings show that something very important is missing from his life. What's missing? Well, he says it here. To him, it feels like God is absent. It feels like he can't connect with God. His thoughts and questions demonstrate the fact that he has a sincere desire for the missing presence of God. Imagine being thirsty. 
and not having any water available to drink. That's the feeling that the psalmist was having here. I've had that feeling before, and I'm sure you have too. A number of years ago, Gail and I were on a mission trip to Haiti. And while we were in Haiti, we were told as soon as we arrived, do not drink any water except bottled water. Now, this was during the days where bottled water was not in the small packages that it is now. The only source of bottled water we had was the five-gallon container back at the compound where we spent the night. So during the day, we would go from orphanage to orphanage, sharing the love of Jesus with orphans in the area of the cities of Haiti. At night, I would preach uh, through an interpreter, and uh, throughout the whole day, we would be away from the compound. And I remember that feeling of being so thirsty I couldn't hardly stand it, but knowing I couldn't drink the water that was available. I had to wait until I got back to the compound. The psalmist was having that awful feeling now. It's painful to be thirsty and not have any water available. I've never forgotten that feeling. And as I look at this psalm, it reminds me that that was the heart and the feeling of the psalmist. In fact, the feeling that God was absent in a person's life is, is horrible. Um, the description here is that he was panting, he was longing, he was looking for the presence of God and desperately wanting to have it and couldn't feel that presence of God in his life. Are you aware that a deep, personal longing for God is built into every single human being. It's built into you, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not. There's a deep, desperate desire for God in your heart. And when the feeling of being absent from God is present, feelings of loneliness and alienation and discouragement tend to just set in and infect our system. What's the greatest need, the greatest desire of every human being? Every human being is born with that desire for God, and you will never be at peace until you fill that void in your life that is placed there that can only be filled by God. In, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water one day, and not only did she find water there, but she found Jesus there. And her encounter with Jesus that day changed her life forever. She was a sinner, a wretched sinner. She had been married five times. And Jesus pointed out to her that she was shacking up with a guy that she wasn't even married to at that particular time. She was desperate. Her whole life was a life of great discouragement. And yet that day, she found the source that would change her life and turn her life around forever. Jesus offered her living water. And when she received that gift from Jesus, her discouragement was replaced by a totally different spirit a spirit of encouragement. That spring of living water 
is what the psalmist was looking for that day. And if you have that inward thirst in your life, if you have a craving in your heart and in your life and in your soul that just won't go away, if you feel desperately discouraged right now and feel like you're separated from God Himself, that spring of living water is available for you. Don't give up. There's hope. There's a vaccine available. And it's called the spring of living water. The spring of living water is available for you and me today if we just draw from it. However, that inward feeling is not the only cause for discouragement. In verse 3, the psalmist points out that looking outward and hearing enemies haunting you can be also a spirit and a cause for discouragement. Look at verse 3. Day and night, I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? Enemies discouraged the psalmist. Enemies were creating doubt and fear and distrust in the character of God in his very own life, just like they will do for you and me today. Oppressive enemies cause sorrow. The enemies of the psalmist were mocking him and taunting him and saying, where is this God of yours? So what enemies are you battling today? What enemies are taunting you and testing you as to whether you have a true faith in God or not? I know some are fighting loneliness. Some are fighting addictions like overeating or overspending or overexercising or maybe addictions like pornography. Some are fighting feelings of loss. Some are fighting feelings of fatigue or media saturation or resentments or even anger. Enemies are shouting out saying, where is this God of yours? Just like they shouted out at the psalmist that day. Doesn't he care? Why is he letting this happen to you? right now. If that's you, friend, don't give up. There is hope. There's a spring of living water that you can draw from. For the believer, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The enemies of discouragement are coming at you. They are of the world. But when you have Jesus, you have the source and the solution to overcome the challenges of every enemy. The Apostle John was addressing false spirits. If you look back at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, you see that the enemy for him that day and uh, the, the believers around him uh, were those evil spirits in the world. And they're alive and they're a well they're well and they're trying to infect believers in our world today. When enemies infect your mind with lies and claims of, um, of, of negativity and discouragement, let the presence of Jesus invade your life and rather than choose to go down the discouragement road, join with Jesus 
and choose hope. For the psalmist, there's also a third cause of discouragement, and that's looking back and remembering. Are you aware that remembering can be discouraging? Nagging memories for the psalmist were discouraging for him as he remembered the past. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 42. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Verse 6, Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazor. See, there, there are two sides to this remembering coin. One side of the remembering coin is, is very good. We talked about that last week. Remember when we celebrated Easter, these women came rushing to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning. And when they got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away and there were angels inside. And the angels had a message for the ladies. They, they said to them, first of all, why are you looking for the living one among the dead. He's not here. He has risen. But then they said something else. They said, remember what Jesus told you when you were in Galilee? And at that moment, those women remembered that Jesus had told them that He was going to be tortured, that He was going to go to the cross, that He was going to die. But on the third day, He would rise again. They remembered. And so they rushed back to tell everyone the good news. The same thing can happen to you and me today. If we remember, sometimes remembering can be very good. But there's another side to that coin. And the psalmist was on that other side of the, the coin. The psalmist remembered about the great times he had had in worship about the great times he had gone up to Jerusalem and led processionals to Jerusalem and celebrated in the family of God, the community of God, and how wonderful that worship was. And he was discouraged now because as he remembered that, he couldn't get back to that. He was isolated. He was being tormented by his enemies. Let me ask you, have you recently asked when will things get back to normal? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that statement from people even in our church. I've heard people say, I'm discouraged that I can't go to work and other people are working, so I remember what it was like to go to work and I want to get back to work. I've heard people say, I'm discouraged because I remember my friends at school and I want to get back to my friends at school. Or I'm discouraged because I remember how well my student was doing in school. And now that he's having to learn, she's having to learn at home. I just want them to get back to have their real teacher. The psalmist remembered the awesome worship times that he had had and experienced with God. He remembered the joy of worshiping with God's people. And he wanted to get back. He wanted to be there. But physically, it couldn't happen. 
nagging memories of victorious worship in the past now brought him to a point of discouragement and despondency in the present. I can identify with that. And I bet some of you can as well. I said a month ago that there is no replacement for the joy that comes from gathering with the body of Christ and celebrating worship together. And we can't do that right now. Remembering how awesome that is and not being able to gather can be very discouraging. We're doing the best that we can at Palmetto Shores to try to provide worship experiences for you in your home. And I trust and pray that you're doing a good job doing the best that you can. But nothing we do here, not the preaching, not the singing, not anything that we can do with technology can take the place of the body of Christ coming together and celebrating together as the body. And just like the psalmist, I long to see that day be restored and remembering what it's like sometimes has a tendency to bring discouragement into my life. But I encourage you to join me and not give up because there is hope. These days are not going to last forever. We're going to come to the time again where we're back together as the family of God, corporately giving praise and glory to Him again. The psalmist then gives one more desperate example of how discouraging it feels to appear for God to be absent from your life. And that's found in verse 7. He's talked about looking inward. He's talked about looking outward. He's, talking about, he's talked about looking backward. Now he's talking about looking at what's on the outside, only looking at problems. Because only looking at our problems can be tremendously discouraging, can it? Verse 7, he says, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. The picture here is like a sailor tossed from the ship alone in the ocean with miles and miles of water around him and only having one little wooden plank to keep his head from going under the waves. And every time he bobs down, he wonders if he's ever going to come up again. What a picture. That is discouraging. I mean, it feels like with miles of water all around and you're just barely hanging on to some little piece of wood to keep yourself afloat. You have to be discouraged. Your body hurts. Your mind hurts. Your spirit hurts. Everything about you is aching. And that was the feeling of the psalmist as he expresses that in verse 7. When, when the feeling of being absent from God is present, feelings of loneliness and alienation and discouragement tend to infect us, tend to set in. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. In the pain and discouragement the psalmist was feeling in verse 7, as he expresses it in verse 7, 
he recognizes the fact that God was allowing this to happen. God is sovereign. He says it's His waves that are watching, washing over me. It's in His position that He has me that I feel like I'm almost drowning. I know you've probably felt that way before as, as I have. Every time I look at my crooked, hurting finger, every time I take a step and my foot hurts because there's a growth on my foot that needs to be removed. Every time I refuse to put on short pants in the winter time, yes, the winter time, because I have a, a, a disorder in my skin that causes me to be embarrassed about the way my legs look in the winter time. These are these are causes. I look into the mirror. I see a scar on my face, and I wonder, is the cancer going to ever come back again? I mean, just looking at the reality of my physical countenance sometimes causes me to want to be discouraged. But I know that God is sovereign. God is not going to allow anything that He doesn't know about. Everything that happens in your life and in my life is either caused by God or it's allowed by God so that He can be glorified. And we have many opportunities during these days to glorify God. What did Job say? His friends told him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job said, even if I die, I will not curse God. And that's the hope, that's the faith, that's the trust that I want to encourage you to have and join with me in having today as well. Regardless of the cause of discouragement, and we've talked about four causes, and there could be many others probably pulled right out of this passage, but regardless of the cause of discouragement, don't give up. There is hope. God is sovereign. His glory is what counts. His glory in your life is what can sustain you. The second encouraging step, then, is to understand that discouragement has a cycle. And we're moving pretty fast here, so just hang on. And again, I encourage you to listen carefully. There's a, there's a roller coaster type cycle to discouragement. One day you're up, the next day you're down. The next day you're up, the next day you're down. It's kind of like that roller coaster ride in, in verse 8 of Psalm 42. Look at it with me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. He's up in verse 8. In verse 9, O oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forsaken me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Do you see it? There's that roller coaster ride there. One moment he's up, the next moment he's down. Every believer, you, me, every person on earth, but especially every believer, experiences this kind of cycle at times, don't we? It's the story of life. The downside 
of the roller coaster ride comes from those taunting feelings of loneliness and fear and sorrow and being overwhelmed by enemies. We've already unpacked that and we're not talking about that anymore. But there's also the upside of the cycle and we do need to talk about that for a few minutes. 16th century author Oliver Goldsmith said, and I quote, the greatest glory consists not in never falling but in rising every time we fall. Lord of the Rings author J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, and I quote, still round the corner there may wait a new road, a secret gate. Like the vaccine for the coronavirus, once you find the gate, it's no longer a secret. And again, the Apostle John found that gate in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. He says this, See what great love the Father has given those who are called the children of God. And we are. God has allowed us to move into an arena where we are no longer strangers to Him. We are His children. He knows everything we go through and He cares. 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones who preached through two great world wars and wrote a book on depression, he said this, and I quote, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way, remind yourself of God who is what God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Someone once said comically, if God said it, then I believe it, and that settles it. That sounds cute for a bumper sticker, but I want you to know today that that's only half true. The truth of the matter is, if God said it, that settles it whether I believe it or not. And the same is true about you and me. So God is our rock. God is our anchor. In his recently published book, Coronavirus in Christ, Come to the Rock is John Piper's first chapter. He says, and I quote, The rock we are talking about is better than healing. He goes on and says, I quote, the rock I stand on and I want you to stand on is the rock of God's action in the world now and forever. Do you see the sense of the sovereignty of God? Even if I do get sick, even if I do die, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And He loves you and He loves me. And He wants us to put our trust in Him. Discouragement is on the way to being defeated when you and I accept the hope that comes from knowing and trusting God. And I desperately want you to have that hope and that trust today as well. So are you standing on the solid rock? 
if you are, there will be times when you're up and there will be times when you're down. I mean, it's just called being human. But we need to understand that this cycle has a cost. Riding life on the roller coaster has a huge cost, and the psalmist reminds us of that in verse 10. He says, Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, Where is this God of yours? The roller coaster ride through life has a physical cost. It not only will cost you your joy, it can cost you your very life itself. Have you ever gotten out of your car and left the lights on all night? What happens when you go out the next morning? Well, when you go out the next morning, the battery's dead. Your car is not going to start. Your body was not made to travel on the roller coaster ride forever. Being up one day and down the next and down one day and up the next and back and forth will cost you your joy. And it will cost you your health. Chronic discouragement breaks your bones, as the psalmist says. It kills your physical body. So thankfully today, there is hope. There is a cure. Very few people find it. Very few people are willing to get off of that roller coaster ride and plant your life on the solid rock. And that leads us to the third encouraging step. And that is to understand that discouragement has a cure, a sure cure. Discouragement has a sure cure. Someone once said that nothing is ever as bad as it seems. And nothing is ever good as it appears. Someone else said, when you come to the end of a rope, tie a knot and just hang on. Have you heard people say that? I've heard people say that all my life. And without Jesus, that's as good as it gets. Without Jesus, as good as it gets is tying a knot at, at the end of your rope and just hanging on through the rest of your life. But the psalmist gives a better strategy than that. He gives a better strategy than philosophy or a pill or a pep talk or tying a knot at the end of the rope and hanging on. He admits that discouragement is real and he owns it. Self-examination is a good start to overcoming discouragement. But you can't stay there. You can't live there. In verse 5 of Psalm 42, he says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? That's the, that's the uh, investigation part. That's the introspective part. That's looking on the inside. But then he turns to the solution. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. So you admit that discouragement is real, but you don't stay there. You don't live there. Helen Keller said, and I quote, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. 
Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. I think it's interesting that Helen Keller, who was blind all of her life, never saw all of her life, we talk about having clear vision. But the source of that clear vision comes through working in the midst of the struggle of life. The psalmist accepts the hope that comes from God. So in the face of mounting trials and painful agony, the, the psalmist finds hope and he praises God and he claims his salvation. Do you see it? Look at verse 11 with me. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Again, that's a rebound from verse 5. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. See, nothing or no one can pull us out of the pits of discouragement like God. And the psalmist gives us the three steps to take right there in verse 11. He says, put my hope in God, praise God again, and trust God for my salvation. And the same is true for you and me as well. Last week, in the late night time, I was checking my email and doing some Instagram and computer type stuff and there was a movie playing on TV and so I began to kind of glare up and watch the movie. It was the Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. And Indiana Jones and his lady friend had stepped into quicksand at this particular point in the movie. And Indiana Jones yelled out for Henry, the young man, to run into the woods and find something to pull him out. And so Henry ran into the woods and he came back out. And when he came back out first, he tossed the life-saving device to his mother and pulled her out. And then he tossed it back to Indiana Jones. It was a nine-foot garden snake. Indiana Jones was sinking. He was almost to go all the way under the quicksand. And he cried out and he said, I can't grab a snake. And Henry said, grab the snake. And he said, why are you calling it a snake? He said, because it is a snake. He said, reach out and grab it. He said, I can't grab a snake. And Henry said, and, and Indiana Jones said, well, call it a rope. And so Henry and his mom both yelled out at the same time, grab the rope. And so Indiana grabbed